Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who didn't know what he was looking for till he heard the voices inside his ears. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Uh, hola, Ben. I mean, you totally missed your cue. You're supposed to. Say, I didn't hear you hey, say hey. Hey, you're it's me again. Hey. No, you're supposed to say hey. It's me again. Ah, uh, well, not everything works. You blew it. All right. So, so so, for this episode, we have a special guest whose latest record is entitled Strange Forms. He's also been involved with a number of other bands, and we'll let him explain those. But he's also credited as a producer, most notably working with one of our recent guests, Anna Tivill. So please welcome to the podcast, Shane Leonard. Hi, everybody. Welcome, Shane. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast, we ask the all-important question. So let's start with Wayne. So Wayne, what t-shirt are you wearing? I just pulled this one out of the mail. You've been talking about it, how comfortable it was. So I ordered one of the Sailor Moon uh, shirts from Ships Have Sailed. I even got a nice little personal note from Will, who even remembered who I was, even though I didn't say anything about him being on a, our podcast. Awesome. How about you, Shane? What uh, what T-shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing a shirt that I feel confident saying is one of a kind. It's a, a gray T-shirt with the cover art for the Bill Frizzell record called Good Dog, Happy Man printed on the front. And uh, that's my favorite Bill Frizzell record. And for... F- folks i guess out there who maybe aren't familiar with bill's music he's a guitarist just a a real master like a great jazz musician but he also plays with a lot of songwriters and um but i was on um, a honeymoon in greece and we saw this t-shirt shop where they had all these really soft t-shirts and you could have anything printed on them that you wanted (laughs) which is Incredible. I don't know why these aren't on like, actually, I just answered my own question in my head. I was going to say, I don't know why these aren't on every corner in the US, but I guess it's because they probably are in breach of major copyright uh, and trademark law. Um, The only thing that I could think of that I would possibly want printed on a t-shirt more than anything else was the cover of that record. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to say that that is probably one of a kind. I, I doubt that there's any other bill frizzell album cover t-shirts out there yeah i'm not even sure if i mean he's got to have some more merch other than records but i don't i don't know what it is (laughs) (laughs) all right well um since uh wayne has has stolen my idea of wearing the ships of sailed t-shirt so um yeah i'm i'm wearing the ships of sailed t-shirt that i bought so this is the third week in a row that i've worn it I told you on the last episode, it's my favorite new shirt because it's comfy. And so I'm wearing it again. I did. I did wash it again, though. I did. At <laughs> least, you said. I did. No, I did. I absolutely do laundry. I'm kind of a, a stickler about that kind of stuff. So, all right. Enough about our ships of sale T-shirts, because man, we have given them a lot of promotion recently, haven't we? Yeah, they deserve it. They, they do deserve it. Will, Will was 
a wonderful guest. All right, let's move on to our guest that we have for today. So, Shane, you were you were a referral from one of our guests that we had on a couple months ago, Anna Tivill. Yeah, Anna's great. So we had a really wonderful time. She introduced us to uh, Joe Henry's Civilians record, which Wayne and I, neither one of us were terribly familiar with even who Joe Henry was, let alone that particular record. And it was, I, I would, well, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I would say that it was a little bit of a revelation, right? Right, Wayne? Wow. Oh, absolutely. Turned me into a Joe Henry fan. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, cool. And uh, so we haven't even discussed the, the, the follow-up on that. So Anna emailed me a couple weeks after we did the episode. The guy who handles the blog for Joe Henry, some guy, I think he's in France. Is he in France or Spain? Do you, do you recall this, Wayne? Uh, no, I did not know he was a he was he was outside of country. So uh, he posted on his blog about this the the episode that we did. Somehow Joe Henry found out about it and reached out to Anna. <laughs> nice, that's awesome. I totally knew that was gonna. I just thought that would happen. <laughs> and so so she she emailed me thanking us for for having having her on the podcast, and she said the the. The coolest thing ever happened. Joe Henry reached out to me and thanked me uh, for 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 that. And she was like, and we've been conversing. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if maybe, you know, Joe Henry is going to produce her next Rick. I don't know. But um, anyway. <laughs> well, I, I hope not because I think I'm supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing against Joe. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so before we get into your production stuff, so let's. Let's um let's talk about some of the some of the bands that, that you've performed with or been a part of. Um, because I you know, as I was doing some research on you, come to find out that you were in field report for, for a short time, correct? Yes, it's true. So you're on Marigolden. I am on Marigolden and Summertime Songs. You are on Summertime Songs. Okay. Yeah, I did not. I did not tour the latter, but um, but I made it. Um, I was playing drums and doing other things on it, and then I kind of stepped out of the band just as they were getting ready to tour that record. Gotcha. So I I, yeah. I have to tell you that from Marigolden, the home leave the lights on is one of my favorite songs from a couple of years oh, ago. Wow, love that tune. And uh, the song "If I Knew," uh huh. I played the crap out of that last year as well. Depends on who we're lying to. We ate the fruit, learned the truth, and spit the pits in the corner of the room. If I knew what I know. Oh, that's so cool. 
so and and um, I posted this on on my own personal Facebook. Uh, my flight to Boston earlier this week got delayed. So instead of you know doing research for the podcast, I, I decided, you know what? I need to listen to a couple records that I just haven't had a chance to listen to for my own personal stuff. So I was I was listening to Field Report because I'd heard the If I Knew song, but I I didn't put in any time listening to the full record. So I did that. Um, and then I've been listening to the new Wilco record because Wayne, guess what? In two weeks, I have to go to Detroit for work. And guess who is playing the night that I fly in? Oh, my goodness. Is it Wilco? Yes, it is. So I'm a very, oh, that's great. I'm a very happy guy because instead of being in the hotel trying to find something on cable, I am going to go see Wilco for the, I believe this is either number eight or number nine times. I can't remember which, but. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. They're one of my favorite bands. Love them. Uh, you, you dived into the new record at all? No, I cannot keep up with their output. I'm, a, I'm, I mean, I know the like mid, I know the early and mid career records really deeply, but then, um, after, um, I guess after like Wilco, the album, I start to lose track. One of these days I'll catch yeah. up. Um, did you listen to sky blue sky? Yep. Yeah. I was a fan of that record. It took me a second to like get it in, you know, you know, I don't know, get inside it. But, um, once I did, it, it really grew on this, me. This album feels like sky blue sky to me that there's a couple, there's a couple cool. songs that are a little more on the, the, the raucous side, but it's more of a, of a mellower mellower album and uh i really dig it i'm i'm looking forward to hearing those those particular songs live but yeah mm. anyways enough about uh enough about wilco <laughs> so let's go back to field report <laughs> so so you were with them for a couple albums yeah i think i was maybe in the band for f- like five years or something okay. like that i hope a certain song on your on your current record isn't about your experience with Field Report. Do you know which which song I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, I don't. Which maybe that answers your question. But what uh, what song are you are you referring now to? You're going to put me on the spot because I was just listening to your record. Uh, the the one song about um oh crap where where you were kind of dissing on somebody who was um. It was like selling out. Yeah, the 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 sellout song. The, you know, look at look at me because I flew in for this particular gig. Oh yeah. Well, here's a cool story about that. If you're if you want to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> that so that I think the song you're talking about is maybe our love is like a popular. That's song. it. That's it. Yep. Maybe I 
And um, it's actually kind of cool that you um, cosmically made that connection because it's definitely not about Field Report okay. or about or about Chris Porterfield, but um, it actually exists because of Chris because um, a couple years ago we uh, Chris was curating this show at a college at Alverno College in Milwaukee, and Alverno had done this series of shows where they invite someone to kind of put an idea together okay. and they invited Chris to do one and he wanted a bunch of us, uh, Phil Cook and Monica Martin from Fox and Caitlin Canty and myself and a bunch of other people to read this book published by this songwriter, Charles K. Harris, who was like, he was a really uh, prolific songwriter and kind of a hit maker uh, in the vaudeville and Tin Pan Alley movements. And, you know, having a hit back then meant that, like, your song was published as sheet music and sold at the corner store, and then families would bring it home and play it on their piano. And um, and so he wrote this book called How to Write a Popular Song, and he kind of lays, lays out all these rules. And, of course, it's antiquated, but some of it is sort of timeless. And so our assignment from Chris was to... Um, or one of the assignments was to write a song that follows all of Charles K. Harris's rules. And so that's the song that I, that I wrote. That is awesome. That is awesome. And I wrote it from the perspective of Charles K. Harris's wife, because I couldn't find any information about her. <laughs> and he came off as pretty pedantic in the book. So I thought, man, who would marry this guy? And what, how does, how does she feel like as his career is getting on, you right. know? <laughs> See, that's that. That is the reason why I do this podcast. Is I like to hear the stories behind why particular songs are written. So that that is very cool. Very cool. There it yes. is. Um. So, so Kalispell is Kalispell your own little side project, or is is that is that a group? It's both. Okay. Um. And kudos for asking about it. Um, a lot of people don't make the connection, but that Kalispell was kind of my main project of my own music for maybe, I don't know, maybe a decade. I did a, I did a lot of kind of self booked tours on it and, um, put up two full records and a couple of EPs. And it was like, it was music I wrote, but that I, brought in other people to play with me. And the general idea was kind of um, trying to integrate what I was learning about traditional folk music, old time fiddle and banjo and that kind of stuff into like contemporary song writing. Um, and I haven't done anything with it in a while, but, but that's what that project cool. is. I, I, uh, I saw yeah. one of the videos that you made or somebody else made of you with uh, a few folks doing Gary, Indiana. Oh, sure. Was it like outside yes. and this kind of drizzling rain? Yeah. Yeah. That was shot, um, at a really cool camp called miles of music, which takes place on an Island in New Hampshire. Nice. And, um, I've gotten to teach there a few times, super lucky because it's, it's incredible. And I've made so many, musical relationships and friendships through it um but that <laughs> that video was shot at like four or five in the morning when the sun was just rising after we had all 
just stayed up all night um, as songwriters and musicians are wont to do when they're all hanging out, you know? So, so it, it's a little bit of a somber video, so it's not because it, you guys are depressed. It's because you're just super tired. <laughs> yeah. It's because we literally haven't gotten any right. sleep and it was at the end of a week of doing that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and if people are going to go try and find that video, just so you know, the song sounds nothing like the song from The Music Man. It's not that Gary, Indiana. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's my attempt at humor there. So, um, but you have a song on your most recent record called Bloomington, Indiana. Are are yeah. are the songs related? Is there something about Indiana that you're fixated on? It's, maybe, maybe I am, and I don't, and I don't realize it. But I, I did end up that song on Strange Forms um, called Bloomington, Indiana. Was, uh, I mean, when I was first touring, actually, my very first tour, I was out with this guy who went went under the name Brother Stephen. Okay. Um, this guy Scott Kirkpatrick, who now owns a really incredible winery in Napa, California, but, um. He was from, he had spent a lot of time in Louisville and in Bloomington, Indiana. And he just kind of brought me into his whole family of people there. And those were like, being in Bloomington, those were my first really strongly positive house concert experiences. Um, I had never done anything like that before, and I just felt like I was on top of the world. So that song is kind of an ode to that town, or also just any town where um, where you feel like, you know, you've discovered a really beautiful little group of people. So it feels like a second hometown, cool. you know? Yeah. So, so since we're talking about your, your most recent record, so most recent record is called strange forms going back to my conversation about being stuck at an airport. So I, I started listening to your record. I had listened to a couple songs here and there, but, um, uh, I finally listened to the the entire record and uh, was, you know, going down a YouTube wormhole of looking at some of your videos. This oh boy. The, yeah, this the so the song <laughs> the song that you that you have on the record called Leftovers. So I saw one of the videos that you talked about how uh that song was um about your dad losing losing his his um I think that's the one that I saw losing his, his fight with cancer. Is that, is that the one that I'm thinking of? Yeah. There's a little bit of that sprinkled through the record, but that, that song is probably the one that addresses it most directly. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's why I kind of connected with this record is, uh, so if you, for, for people who have been listening to the podcast, so that's, an event that has occurred in my life in the last uh, month and a half, my, my, my own dad passed away. And, uh, so it is, it's definitely been something that has been top of mind and been doing a lot of contemplating and, uh, went back to Washington state here, uh, what I guess two weeks ago, Wayne for the memorial service. Yeah. So it's been, uh, it's been, it's definitely been, been top of mind. Uh, I think the other, the other song, uh, on the record, strange forms. I, I assume that song is is also a little bit uh, sprinkled in with your experience with your dad. Correct? Yeah, that one. 
That one is kind of written at the the weird intersection of like having recently lost my dad at the time that I was writing it and like holding my newborn baby daughter and just you know that's a it's a pretty mind blowing um kind of juxtaposition of like mm-hmm. you know life and death um and and at the time I wrote that song, I was, you know, every night I was putting my daughter down to bed in her crib and I would just sit there in this chair in her room in the dark uh, with her for a while before I would put her down. And I would just sit there with her and it was like, I was paralyzed. Like I couldn't move, you know, cause I just, I didn't, I just kind of wanted to freeze that moment. So the song is sort of exploring that feeling of wanting wanting to stay in a moment forever, but knowing that things always change and that, you know, you just never know what's coming. It's just, you know, surprises in life. And, and also just contemplating like what is, you know, birth is mysterious and so is death to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know. How to <laughs> it's pretty heavy up. stuff. I, know. You know? I don't even know how to follow that up. I mean, uh, you know, you know, on that, on that song there, there was one line that really resonated with me and, and hopefully I, I, I get it right. Cause I wrote it down um, where you say, perhaps the fate eternal is a permanent surprise. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a believer, um, you know, I'm someone that has a faith of the divine yet. I'm, mm. I'm still full of doubts and questions and um, I feel like every day I'm learning something, but yet every day I feel like I'm also questioning something as well. Um, so I, I, I like the sentiment where it's like, mm. you know, there's, there's this eternity, but yet um, we don't really know what it's going to be. So, there's there's that surprise element to it so i i yeah i just really i really dug that song it really connected with me oh cool man yeah what strange forms we all inevitably take well composed in waking life we sleep with mouths again this is also how we die Perhaps the fate eternal Is a permanent surprise Surprise What else? What else on the new record? Wayne, did you get a chance to, to, to listen to... Uh strange a little bit uh i is midway on the new one yeah was that yeah that was the song that i heard that came up first i really liked that one um and i think it was bloomington indiana i heard that one too i listened to a lot of kalispell (laughs) oh right on which was which i enjoyed yeah thanks for checking that stuff out absolutely so before we dive into the the record that you chose so we always we've been asking all of our guests recently and let's let's see what uh, what your answer is. So we've been asking everybody their opinion of Toto's Africa. Is it a good or bad song? <laughs> oh man, I forgot about that. I actually listened to the episode that you did with Anna because awesome. Um, 
you know, I, I like, I'm you know, relatively aware of what's going on in Anna's life. And I saw that she mentioned that she did the podcast and I was on tour, um, opening for this great band called Bonnie Light Horseman that everybody should check out. Okay. But, um, uh, I was on the road a lot, so I listened to that episode. <laughs> and I remember you guys asking her that. And, uh, and she said it was a bad it. song. She said it was a bad song. Yeah. And it just kind of blew my mind because like, you know, Anna, uh, it's, it's, you know, she's just, uh, she's such a graceful human being. And I was kind of like in my car and I was like, I was like, geez, Anna, you know, give it the, ch- it's, it's good. <laughs> you know, they didn't, they didn't know they were just going for it. <laughs> um, so you're asking me if I think it's a good or a bad song. Yep. What's your opinion? I I mean I think it's got to be a great song because if it was a if it was a categorically bad song no one would have ever heard it other than Toto and the poor engineer who was obligated to record it. <laughs> um I I mean I think it, I'm I think it's a great song because I'm primarily a drummer and it's got that mm. iconic drum fill. And also in this day and age it's like just a perfect, <laughs> um, preserved, uh, fossilized like moment of that weird phenomenon of like eighties. Uh, it's like eighties white songwriting. Bear with me on this. Uh, <laughs> that's like, um, it's like, you know, we're just like, I feel like in the, hopefully in the mainstream, cultural conversation we're getting slowly slowly painfully a little better at understanding the concept of like things like privilege or just like how how we're brought up to view folks who aren't ourselves and and all the intricacies of that and um and i just think that it's such a perfect like weird um artifact of like 80s uh like exploitation or like appropriation of like the way you know it's like these guys like a bunch of like white guys singing about like the rains down in africa like it's just it's like painfully naive in the best 80s way you know right right <laughs> i hope that makes sense i kind of rambled there no but, it, you know no it it totally makes sense and and it's I, rocky ground yes <laughs> and and i think that I think the one thing that is is maybe lost in that whole conversation of of you know that whole white privilege thing is those guys played with a lot of diverse artists. So if yeah, you know if if people aren't aware, Toto is on most of Thriller. Sure, yeah, because um Jeff Porcaro was playing drums with them, right? That that's correct. And and Toto essentially wrote Human Nature. And the 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 guitar for Beat It, even though it's famously uh you know credited to Eddie Van Halen, um oh, just the solo just the solo is Eddie Van Halen. The rest of it, that's Steve Lukather. Mm. So does not surprise me. Yeah. I mean, they're a great band, you know. 
Yeah, and uh, I think if I if I'm if I remember correctly, they're on a couple George Benson records from the late seventies as well. So yeah, they were they were all over the place, and you know all of those those uh, influences I think are definitely felt on Toto Four, even though maybe it's uh, yeah maybe it's a little naive as well, but um, it's just a. Like you said, it's a good snapshot of, of that that time period. So I like it. Yeah. It's got like, you know, it's got all the best it's got all the best elements of the eighties. It's got like the time stamped overproduced gated reverb drums. <laughs> it's got the epic just like going for it crooner vocal. Yeah, you know, it's got like the yeah, the questionable uh uh, references to you know it's like that video of all of the stars singing um we are the world we are, we are the world man it just never fails to blow my mind watching that thing you know and it's like um sting is like I don't know, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. Right. Sting is, is standing next to Diana Ross and Kenny, (laughs) Kenny Rogers is standing next to, you know, I don't know, uh, whoever was, was, was big at that time, sister sledge or whoever it was. And I guess sister sledge, that was probably past their, past their, their time. It was probably pointer sisters at that point. Correct. I don't. I, I have. No, I have no idea. <laughs> now I'm gonna go. I, I'm gonna go watch the video after we're done recording. Now, thank you. A lot. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody does. It's a real. <laughs> it's a real. Um, it should have gone in the the time capsule that got blasted out into outer space. Right. Right. But um, and I also want to say that I really love Sting's music, so I don't want that to seem like a Sting rip. But I have to note, Sting looks pretty unenthused in that video. Other people look pretty psyched <laughs> to be there. Sting maybe is not demonstrating gratitude in that video, <laughs> but he looks very handsome as always. Oh yes, oh yes. All right. Well, tell us which record you chose to revisit for this episode. Okay, I chose the album "Meaningless" by John Bryan. Okay, who is a film score scorer and a producer. And songwriter extraordinaire. So tell us a couple of the other records that you you thought of because the the email that you sent to me a couple days ago was was just classic. Because <laughs> because you said that, I, that this yeah. was a really difficult choice and probably one of the hardest decisions that you ha- you had to make this year. So, <laughs> so apologies for that. I mean, it was surprisingly difficult to pick a record because I just could not make up my mind. Um, And like I had, I kind of bounced back and forth between all of the, I'm sure all the things that your guests consider, like my first thought was to go to just unassailably legendary records that deserve to be talked about time and time again, you know, like, like, uh, like, so, you know, or like yeah. uh, you know Peter Gabriel or um, uh, or that Bill Frizzell record that I mentioned before, and then and then I thought about like, well, what about something that was a huge that really influenced me when I was a teenager that I just loved that like maybe isn't cool to people now, um, 
who are like, you know, I don't know, stingy about their taste. Like I thought about, um, spice, the, uh, <laughs> the debut record from the spice girls and not intending to be ironic about it at all. I literally, like when I was in sixth grade and I heard that record, it blew my mind. It was everything a sixth grade, you know, kid, um, could want. It was like, it was like really, um, alluring stars dancing and singing. And it was, um, the pr- production was like infallible <laughs> songs are super catchy. Um, you guys still there? Or did you hang up? No, on no. Okay. <laughs> Believe it or not, this is the second week in a row that our guest has, has referenced spice girls. So don't, yeah, it seems like they're sort of attempting to enter the zeitgeist again, right? Because didn't they do like a reboot tour or something? I I don't know. Maybe it's making. Maybe therefore it's making its way into our brains. It's being we're being incepted. But then, like, I also thought about that John Mayer record, "Room for Squares," which is great, you know. And like, hip hip, um, the hip cats give John Mayer a lot of flack, but I think it's pretty undeniable that he's a phenomenal guitar player he's a really talented pop songwriter and and he seems to me like a pretty intelligent and funny guy and that record i just listened to it again like a couple months ago i sat down to practice and so actually therefore it was probably like a year ago um but i sat down in like a rare moment where i had the opportunity to practice and i just wanted to play along to a record and i knew that um like Aaron Sterling and Steve Jordan drum on a lot of his records. And so I put um, Continuum on and it just blew my mind. And it was like, I saw that um, Jack Joseph Puig had like produced Room for Squares and just all these guys that I'm really deeply into now were like at work back then making my favorite records. And I had no idea. Yeah. Anyway. That, that yeah. first John Mayer album is, uh, it's great. Um, I played the crap out of that. Um, no such thing. And your body is a wonderland and neon. I mean, all those songs are, are fantastic. And I, he's mostly kind of got crap just for opening up his mouth too much. I mean, I think that there was a time where he was just, I think, I think the reason why there was such a backlash was he just wanted to brag about all the, the, you know, the, celebrities that he's banged you know after a while i think people get tired of hearing that kind of stuff so i think yeah he definitely got some 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 blowback because of that and um but he's a great guitarist i mean uh i had a couple friends who went and saw so he he played with the dead um Mm -hmm. and they said he was just fantastic i believe it you know so let's see. Let let's see. Let, let, let me go. Let me let me go down the 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 list that you gave me. So because um, there's a couple on here that I just don't know. So you you also said Oscar Peterson trio, which Ooh. that's jazz, right? <laughs> I love that. Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. All right. Because uh, I'm not a not a big jazz guy, so. Uh, that's fine um let's see you also said cuddle magic which i'm not familiar with that's indie yeah i mean whatever indie could be yeah you know can be construed to me now but cuddle magic is just one of my favorite bands period and if you ever have the chance to see them live don't pass it up okay 
And then you also said Randy Travis, Storms of Life. And that's the, mm-hmm. that's the one that has Digging Up Bones. Digging Up Bones. Man, yeah. Best best songs. Some of the best songs. And an incredible voice. Good, good, good voice. Absolutely. Um, you a country guy at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love especially older country music. Okay. Um, every, uh, every couple months here, me and a bunch of the other kind of um, session guys in town, if you could call us that, um, we get together and have a country night where we play all the classics for a couple nice. hours and the bar packs out and it's a real blast. So my guess is you probably watched the Ken Burns documentary. I have not watched it yet, oh. but I want I want to. My TV viewing time is extremely limited with two small children yep. and a and a full time job. But I'm going to watch it at some point. You are going to have a treat. It is fantastic. Um, yeah, you're going to enjoy that. All right, there was two others that you put on here. So Yola Tango's the and then nothing turned itself inside out. I'm not familiar with that one. I. I never really got into them. I do. Mm. I do own painful, but that was like, was that their debut or maybe the second record? Yeah, I think it was one of the earlier ones. I'm not that familiar with that one, but yeah, that, that Yola Tango record that I mentioned, um, you know, a friend recommended it and I listened to it and it, and the timing just wasn't right. And a couple of years went by and it, it sat on the shelf and then I put it in one day and it just actually it was on a field report tour. We listened to it in the van okay. and it, it just, it hit. And, uh, and ever since then I've just been voraciously consuming everything they come out with. Yeah. And then the last one that you, you, uh, you said was a tribe called quest people's instinctive travels and i know that there's more to that title but that's yeah and that's the one that has yeah that one that has can i kick it i think so i recently read this book by anif abdurakib called go ahead in the rain and it's it's kind of a, a it's called a love letter to a tribe called quest and i had one of their records um I think it was the low end theory. I used to be an English teacher and I would play that in my classroom in the morning. And, um, so I've been trying to like dig into them a little bit more. Cool. All right. So as a reminder, our scoring is going to be based on the number of songs on the record. So Wayne, how many songs on this record? 11, which means top song is going to get 11 points. Next favorite song, 10 on down to lowest score of one. So we're going to kick off John Bryan's Meaningless with the first song. And this is Gotta Start Somewhere. wants to get us started on our analysis of got to start somewhere good 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 opener 
I think so. I like I like that it has the word start in it. I think it's a little cheeky, but I always like that. Yeah, I kind of realized that later on too. Um like, oh, what a great first track. Got to start somewhere. Yeah, I felt like the 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 lyrics were definitely um mm-hmm. definitely placed well because it's like, well, you know, here's my here's my record and I guess we'll we'll start it here. <laughs> so, uh so I so I did I yeah. did like that uh that aspect. Um I would say this, and and I think we'll we'll carry on this conversation on the next on the next song. But I feel like a common theme on this record is that a lot of the songs kind of show like a little bit of lack of confidence in his own abilities or talents or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think he tries to. I don't know if he's trying or if it just comes across as well. I'm kind of this lovable loser. Mm on some of the tracks. Um, but I think that that confidence is, I don't know. Is that maybe the reason why this record got made originally in 97 and didn't come to light until he released it on his own, what, four or five years later? Yeah. I don't really know. Like, I think one of the things that I like about, John Bryan is that there's a real scarcity of like, um, I don't know, like up to date biographical info out there about him. I feel like he's one of the exceptions of, um, current, you know, current, um, music movers and shakers because he's kind of, he kind of restricts his, I mean, he's obviously super busy, like he's scoring films and writing songs and producing records. And that's probably why he's not like on Instagram, um, you know, like tweeting out pictures of his loafers and stuff. But, um, but my, like my understanding on what you were just saying is that, uh, that there was, um, an interest from the record label Atlantic to maybe put out a record of his and they were asking for material and he gave him this stuff and, that maybe there were some, I don't know, some ups and downs with like conversations with labels and that he ended up self-releasing it on his own label, which I think is just to say, you know, self-releasing it. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I feel like for me, one of the like reasons that I picked this record is that there's the, uh, some of the magic about it is that you have kind of restricted access to it. You know, it's, it seems like he printed some, or like he had a run of CDs made. Um, I don't think it ever came out on vinyl or like maybe it came out on cassette. I'm not sure, but um, like you can't even, it's not on any of the streaming services and to listen to it without owning the CD, I think you have to find either like an illegal download or listen to it on YouTube. And I still find a lot of romance in that, you know? Right. In in fact, uh, in order for us to get the sound clips for this, I had to record it off of YouTube. So if the audio if the audio quality <laughs> is not great for for this particular episode, that would be the reason why. So yeah, it's not on any of the streamings. It's not on Spotify. He's not going to make his his scantly you know thirty five cents per month off of the Spotify listens for for this record. So. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I basically did the the opposite of what Anna um, did, like you're saying before. She chose someone really um, 
like uh uh i don't you know who people could like easily access and check out and and also like a hero of hers who might even get in touch with her i chose someone who probably will never hear that um we talked about his record and nobody nobody who's listening to this probably has even though he's so important probably very few of them have like heard of him right uh but that's kind of like why i don't know i guess that's why i have um so so few followers on uh, Instagram or something. Maybe it's not my forte. <laughs> the strategic moves. Well, you know, maybe you should start tweeting about Spice Girls and John Mayer. Maybe that will that will get you some 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 extra follows. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, because I don't think the Bill Frizzell shirts are going to get you a lot of a lot of followers. <laughs> just 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 saying. Just saying. I'm... You sound like my wife. <laughs> just... Yeah, <laughs> but you know, uh, and and I think that that there is a um, I don't know what the what the 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 word is for this, but there's a certain magic for people who are just wanting to do their own thing, and mm-hmm. and can make a living at it. So obviously, John Bryan is doing okay for himself as a as a scorer. Um, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with his relationship with, you know, the, the director of a lot of those, those pictures. I mean, he, yeah, he's just, for those, for anybody listening to this who isn't familiar, um, some of, some like, you know, highlights, I guess would be like Magnolia and I Heart Huckabees and Punch Drunk Love and, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And the list just goes on. You know, and records by Amy Mann and like um, Robin Hitchcock and Kanye West and Fiona Apple. Uh, um, so his like his sound is everywhere, you know. And and the director that's Paul Anderson, is that correct? Paul Thomas Anderson, yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's got a nice little relationship with with him. Um, going back to the Magnolia soundtrack, so. Uh, he was involved for a time with Amy Mann because he was he was in the last the last incarnation of Till Tuesday, yep. like that that last record. That's right. And yeah. I think he played on a couple of her first solo records. So so I guess talk about another artist who is kind of doing her own thing. Like the last couple Amy Mann records, those aren't available on Spotify either. I think they are actually. The like, singles are. Isn't uh, the singles are mental? Because I feel like I've listened to Mental Illness on Apple Music. Okay, maybe she's on. She is not on Spotify. Uh, in fact, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go look here because if you try and listen to um, the Magnolia soundtrack on Spotify. Guess what song you're not going to hear mm. off of that soundtrack? You're not going to hear "Wise Up." That is not available. Oh, oh. Um, so yeah, "Mental Illness" is on, but the previous record or the most recent record—what uh, is the name of that? That is not on Spotify. And most people don't give a crap why I'm even looking at that. So yeah. <laughs> But I, I will say just to um, fill time while no, you're looking at Spotify here. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But the, um, <laughs> I did find 
like on the topic of the unavailability of this record in reading the or rereading the wikipedia page about it i went to the cd baby site where it was okay. originally sold um yeah so did i yeah and it's so cool yeah. on there i mean at first i was totally psyched because i thought that i would be able to actually buy the cd from there and i ended up finding it like a, a used copy on um evil amazon but um on CD Baby, there's a track-by-track write-up from John Bryan, a little like blurb about each yeah. of the songs. And I printed it out so that if it's if it's relevant, yeah. I can um, reference it during See, our conversation. On the CD Baby, I don't remember the last time I've went on CD Baby. I guess I am not. Uh, I am not contributing to. And I only went to it because there was a link uh, at the bottom of the okay. Wikipedia page. Well, <laughs> I'll say this: the the um, platform. Um, is sort of charmingly like early 2000s internet looking. Uh, I I would have said 1997. Yeah, it was it was very DOS. <laughs> well, it's pretty cool. Well, and they, they I think they want to stay that way. I and and um, I'm trying to get a a band that's on Sub Pop um to to come on and check forth and. All of their stuff is updated on Bandcamp. Like that's that's how they prefer to yeah. to do things. There's not a flashy website. I think that that's just kind of their speed, and that's that feels like this whole CD baby type of situation as well. Of um, we're just cool with just doing our thing. Like I don't know, we're we're not in it for the the YouTube likes and and clicks again there's a certain charm about that yeah i love it all right we've uh we've talked about everything else except for the song that um we introduced (laughs) (laughs) so any anything on gotta start somewhere yeah i think in the first two tracks uh he does a lot of like weird gimmicky things like on this one i think there's a there's like a military drum there might even i think there's a whistle and there's these and uh, some computer generated blips that go on, and I think they happen in the first two tracks. And that's the one thing that I I, I wrote down is that he would he could have I think he if it's almost like the exact opposite of too many cooks spoil the soup. Like you need a sometimes you need a producer because yeah. I except for one track he did everything. He it's all him all the instruments everything wrote all the songs you know with some co-writing but on a couple of them but it seems like he would have it would have been good if he had a producer on a couple of a couple of occasions where he could have bounced off and they could have said hey let's pull the whistle out of this one (laughs) and maybe maybe and maybe let's let's get rid of the music box thing or somebody to bounce some some ideas off because uh sometimes especially on the first two tracks he goes he does that a little too a little too much. And then it kind of, he get, then it goes away and then it comes, comes back here and there. But, uh, my big, that was the, the one thing I noticed that he could, he could have stood to maybe had a, had a producer or a co-producer, maybe Amy Mann should have helped, helped him back. Man. Yeah. I mean, I, I gotta say, that's like what I love so much about this record. Uh, just the, like, actually one of the things I noted about the first track was, there's that like long build over the verse chords toward the end of the song where he repeats the verse chords over and over with new lines. And there's all these percussion samples. And like you said, the whistle and 
That's, I mean, for me, that stuff's like candy. And I also loved the, uh, the blown out harmonies in, on the, in the right channel, uh, on the choruses. Um, just like the sound of a four track. Yeah. It sounded to me like a four track cassette kind of, um, thing. And, and he, I really loved that. So what, so what you're saying is if, if Joe Henry asks you, uh, if he can produce your next Kalispell record, you're going to tell him no. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I'm a, I'm such a fan of Joe and his, um, cadre of players, David Pilch and Joe, uh, Jay Belarus. And I would look, I would work with, if Joe Henry is listening, Let's let's hang. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. All right, let's get some scores on Gotta Start Somewhere. Wayne, what you got? Um, all the little blips and whistles and the ghost vocals, I, I gave it a two. All right. And Shane? Uh, I put it at five out of 11. All right. Which I should also say that none of these numbers I could consider to mean like, you know, it's just, it was so hard for me to even put these in an order. But if I had to, I I, put, I gave it number five. Once the scores are down, it's gospel. You never <laughs> change them ever. Yeah, no, that's not that's not true. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm matching your five on this rec on this song. I like it. Nice. I think it's I think it's a good good opener. Um, there's just there's a lot of other songs that I think really dwarf this, but. Um, but no, no other songs that I would say would be a better opener than this particular one. So yeah, and my three-year-old walks around singing the chorus, so that's cool. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty yeah. cool. All right, let's move on. Next song is "I Believe She's Lying." Categorically, we uh, we all really kind of dig the song. I like I like the percussion on this. It's very it's very interesting. Um, the harmonies, which um, you know, I I wrote in my notes. I assume that's just John overdubbed, and then I I did one other fact uh, factoid check today, and and to your point, Wayne. Yeah. It's all John, uh, for the most part on this record. So yeah, that's, all, that's all John on the, on the, uh, the backgrounds. I, I think my, so going back to what I was saying about the, the themes of this, of, of him trying to portray himself or trying to portray the narrator of each of the songs is kind of this lovable loser. Is this song lovable though? 
Well, I, I love it. So I guess it to that point it is. I think this is the uh, I didn't. It isn't my top score, but that's because of a couple of production things. But I think this is the the strongest song as far as like, I'm surprised that this hasn't been covered and made a hit. Um, I think the couple of the things that he I would prefer that he left out were the uh, there's an auto tune like he his backing track almost sounds okay. auto tuned the background vocals. Um, and I think he, it seems, it feels rushed. Like the drums are so fast that it, it, that's, it doesn't seem to, it's like the, the melody doesn't seem as fast. So it comes out, it has this weird rushed feel to it. But I, I mean, I love that there's almost like this Spanish guitar breakdown that he does towards the middle. And then again at the end, but like I say, as far as lyrically uh, and melody wise, I think this is the, the best written song and I, I can't believe people aren't clamoring to cover it make it a hit this one is like the one that puts the biggest smile on my face and i think it's because um and this is i guess this is a theory but the drums you could you could like a really good drummer could play drums that fast but it wouldn't sound like it does on this song. And so my theory is that he recorded the drums to tape with the okay. tape running at a slower speed. And this is kind of, yeah. this is kind of like a, it's not a, an uncommon practice, but playing, playing it at, with the tape at a really slow speed and then speeding it up or like bringing it back up to speed significantly so that then when you sing to it, the drums are like at this double time sort of like, almost superhuman level of like, even though they're fast, there's like a tightness, an almost unnatural um, tight consistency to them that I just find, I just thought it sounded so cool. And like, you know, there's like, there's drum fills and cymbals and things in there that just wouldn't sound like the pitch of the cymbals wouldn't sound that way if they were just actual, you know, if it hadn't been sped up. Um, and I I got so inspired by that. I was thinking, man, I want to do that on my next record. And then I love the, uh, yeah, the vocal the vocal thing on the choruses, and then later on the verses. Um, I can't tell if I think that he's singing into or like rerouting his already recorded vocal into some kind of a harmonizer. And I don't think that it's just like a set it and forget it harmonizer because the quality of the harmony is changing. But I think it's one of these things where like you sing into it and then you play the harmony on a keyboard and the keyboard assigns your vocal to like all of these different pitches that you're playing. Anyway, that's really getting nerdy about it. But um, (laughs) I thought it was great. But I don't think that the narrator is a likable guy. I think that the narrator is like an intentional you know, it kind of sounds like an asshole because it's, it's a fear of commitment song. And, um, so you, I think you're kind of supposed to hear the narrate narrator and be like, Oh man, you got to kind of right. chill out a little bit. Yeah. He's definitely paranoid. I mean, but how great is the line, uh, about, I have every confidence that she'll dismantle mine given time. You know, every song on this, I have, I have some, some stars next to my next to those lyrics like every single song yeah has like one one line of lyrics that it's just like oh my gosh that's awesome yeah all right uh so let's get some scores on this so wayne what you got a nine 
And then uh, Shane? This this for me was 11 yep. out of 11. And I'm matching, I'm matching you as well for that. Um, and that's the last time you and I are going to agree on scores. Just so you know. Uh, Okay. (laughs) All downhill from here. All right. uh, Next song. This is title track. This is meaningless. What you guys have for for meaningless? Any any anything in particular that uh, would have inspired him to use this as the title track? Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what. It, I think it 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 really is a great song. And had I wrote down deserves to be the title track. The drums are super. Not only strong as in like very you know fierce, but just in, the drums are really the highlight of the track. Uh, and then the concept, I had read his little notes on um, CD Baby where he had said uh, the songs about, you know, how inanimate objects can open those floodgates to all these other memories. You know, it's just an old hotel, but you drive by it and you remember all these other things that, you know, na- are now associated with these simple items. Knowing that he had the relationship with Amy Mann, knowing that he was in uh, till Tuesday at, uh, at the end made me think of, so the, the line of, you know, that, that hotel by the highway where we stayed, it reminded me of the song coming up close and how apropos mm. that, um, that triggered my memory of how much I love coming up close. Isn't that the whole point of this whole song is all of those all of those you know inanimate objects or a song or the pen or a car or the pier is something that triggers a memory and um you know he he's essentially well they're they're memories of stupid places and silly things that were meaningless before so I don't, I don't know. I just thought that that was interesting that that's where my mind took me. And, uh, it was exactly what he was trying to convey in his song. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that, um, to me, like out of all the songs on this one, the production sounds the glossiest, Yeah, like, and then reading this, the little write up from CD baby, it sounds like, it sounds like there was a lot of like more expensive production on it. Like he, um, a lot of it was recorded at like a, a full on professional studio and Jack Joseph Puig played some guitar on it and other, and, uh, but it was interesting to me that, um, even though, even though I liked the song, like I, I definitely, yeah, I dug it, but it, it just resonated with me the least out of this, all the songs on the record. Um, and I think that part of what I love about this record is that there is kind of an art project quality about it where the sounds all, it's sort of like a collage. And this one is the most, to me, homogenous sounding. And maybe, maybe for that reason, it, it wasn't my, it was like my least favorite, even though I still like it. 
But I also like that it's a classic version of like the John Bryan as drummer um, philathon, which is that he's got this great way of like playing drum fills in this melodic way that like these drum fills go on and on and on. And it's, I don't mind it at all, which is kind of a rarity for me. So, so where's the balance? And I'm asking this of you because, you know, you are a producer and a musician. Where's the balance between um, not overproducing something yet not wanting it to sound totally lo-fi? Because that is a thing. Mm. Yeah, it is a thing. And I think that the... I think that the difference is just, or the metric should be at, at what point does something like hit you in the guts and at what point does it stop doing that, you know? And like, at least that's my metric when I'm working with someone is what version and treatment and method of playing the song somehow some kind of, sometimes inexplicably you know like moves moves air for me um and sometimes that's like a really well recorded super high fidelity state of the art kind of vibe and other times it's just like hit record on a cassette tape and have it sound grainy and weird and intimate and um accidental you know but i but it depends on the song yeah. Okay. I just I was just curious cuz I mean uh, that that's definitely been one of those um things that I've been listening to different uh podcasts about um Daniel Johnston who is you know passed away recently. Definitely lo-fi, definitely was you know this guy who recorded everything in his own would you even call it a home studio? I mean, it felt like most of his things were just recorded on, you know, a a cassette player yet. He is completely revered in the indie world um, for his, his songwriting talents. So I was just curious where the, where the line is between lo-fi and, and, you know, the overproduction of things. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I kind of think that there isn't a line. It's just like, you know, nobody would want to hear Coldplay's um, parachutes, like, recorded shittily, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, But everybody wants to hear, um, you know, like, Daniel Johnston. Mm -hmm. You know, if Daniel Johnston was singing into, like, a U87, you know, like a really nut, just like a classic, really nice microphone through like a, a very expensive preamp into, um, you know, whatever into pro tools that would sound really, it wouldn't be the same. Like the sound of those records is part of the music because it, it, I feel like the way that you record something and the way that you treat something sends a subliminal message to the listener about what their expectations should be. And if it's lo-fi, you're saying what you're listening to is the art of this and the spirit of it. And when it's super high fidelity, like top 40 pop, you're saying what you're listening to is the, the, 
breadth and span of sound and the sheer like physical power of you know like you're not you're not thinking deeply about like the inner turmoil of the singer you're just you're being moved by the sound of the song so if somebody took one of anna tivill's songs and put a dance dance track to the backing of it <laughs> it would lose lose a little something is that what you're saying <laughs> maybe but i'd still buy it and i'd encourage everyone else out there too as well <laughs> there you go all right nice. did you hear that chain smokers <laughs> yeah all right let's get some scores on meaningless uh wayne what you got i gave it a 10 okay and i gave it a seven and then shane i gave it a one all right least favorite song <laughs> all right that leads us up to ruin my day was one of those songs that uh i just kept coming back to this was one of my more favorite songs on on the the record it felt raw to me uh you know who hasn't had one of these types of former loves that i think it kind of it kind of goes back to the whole theme of the previous song of meaningless of you know different things strike up a memory and um they just end up ruining your day. Uh, you try, you you try really hard to not let it ruin your day, but um, it still does, anyways. I wrote down for this one that this is, I think this is a classic example of what I call the John Bryan waltz, <laughs> which is that he's got, especially in the intro, he's got this way of playing three quarter time on the drums that's like super literal where he's like hitting the kick drum on beat one and then the snare on beat two. Although in this case, I think it's the hi-hat on, on two and three, but it's like, it's like this boom, cha, cha, boom, cha, cha, that I just, even though it's like the simplest, most unsophisticated thing, it's so like tongue in cheek and groovy to me. And I, I had read somewhere, like you had mentioned before that uh, except for in a couple cases that he played everything on this record but this is another this is a song that for me casts more doubt on that and just also makes me remember that like music journalists often err in their assumptions about records but um because on this one i'll i know that john bryan is a great drummer but i would be so surprised if this wasn't matt chamberlain playing drums um because it's just like got all of the classic like 
Matt Chamberlain feel in the fills. And he plays like a really similar groove on a bunch of other John Bryan stuff. Um, like Brad Meldow's Largo record. And it's got like the ghost notes that Matt Chamberlain plays in his left hand. So I, I mean, I could be wrong, and if I am, just a big old like high five to John Bryan for drumming the crap out of this <laughs> song. But I, I, I'll be damned if it's not Matt Chamberlain. Interesting. Okay, that's my spiel. So, so you're saying Wikipedia lied to us? It might be one of the rare cases in which an online resource is inaccurate. That never happens. That never happens. <laughs> All right. What else you guys got on Ruin My Day? Um, this one has a real Beatles feel to it that um, that I noticed on a couple others. And uh, and I did write, I noticed the drumming too. I not, As not for who, I'm not a, I don't know Matt Chamberlain or uh, any other drummers specifically that well, but I just thought this, it was the, uh, one of the highlights of the song. Uh, but yeah, this one has a, and he has a voice that's, it's familiar. Like he sounds, he sounds a little bit like Paul McCartney. He sounds a little bit like John Lennon. He, he has a, he sounds a little bit like a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but this, this had a, <clears throat> excuse me, with the piano, um, it had a real, a real Beatles feel to it. And kind of an Elton John vibe too. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I could, yeah, yeah. I, I could see that. And, and I'm surprised, Wayne, that it took you four songs in to make reference to the Beatles because the first text that you sent me. <laughs> yeah. his, parents are, his parents are looking in their collection trying to find their White Album. It's at John Bryan's house. So you know, <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, let's get some scores on this. So I give this a 10, Wayne. Eight. And then Shane. Uh, nine. All right. Out of 11. Cool. Next song is Walk Through Walls. Or is it Walk Through Walls? Walking Through Walls. Walking Through Walls. Walking Through Walls. There we go. I think it's cool that he wrote this with um, Grant Lee Phillips. Yeah, I saw. Yeah. I saw a couple co-writes uh, credits on on this this record. Um, I didn't write them all down, but Grant Lee Phillips. Yeah. And the only other note that I had for this one was that um, it's the only uh, song. I'm sure there are others out there, but it's the only song I've ever heard that has a uh, a, <laughs> a background vocal where the backgrounds are just singing this this echo uh, where they're, I don't know how I can say it on the uh, quote-unquote radio, but MFR. Oh, I, yeah, I gave it extra points for Motherfucker. He actually used it, okay. actually used it twice. <laughs> yeah. uh, but this is definitely, it. this and felt like it came off the White Album. It gave me that real later, late end you know, career of the Beatles where they were experimenting a little bit. Um, and But 
ultimately, I just love uh, the song. Uh, I just really connected with it. it has this great feel. I mean, ho- hopefully everybody's had that that time in their life when they they feel like they just can't be stopped. Like everything, everything's fallen into place. Every, you know, you're just walking through life and it, and everything's going your way. And uh, it really came through in the song. And then, he, and like I say, he used motherfucker twice. And, and Shane, just so you know, um, one of the things that I always do is when I listen to a song or listen to the record all the way through, um, I try and predict what Wayne's favorite song is going to be on the record. And um, <laughs> I, I nailed it. I knew that this was going to be your favorite Wayne just because they use those bad words. <laughs> so called called it again. Um, I would say the, the only notes that I've got on here is I probably could have even rated this a little bit higher. I really dig this song, um, but I felt like it just went on a little too long. I felt like the ending uh, kind of droned on, you know, to your point, Wayne of, uh, of a classic Beatles song where, you know, they were trying their best to try and make it into a six minute song where they could have just made it into a, you know, it was a four and a half minutes. Right. Exactly. So anyways, um, anything else on walking through walls? No, that's it for me. All right. Let's get some scores in. All right. Uh, Shane, what you got Two. Wayne 11 and I give this an eight and that leads us to trouble. I, I rated this a little bit higher because the melody of this got stuck in my head. Yeah. Uh, it, it's super catchy and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, one of the things that I read again, because the internet never lies, um, is, uh, Elliot Smith covered this song. Yeah. A bunch of people have covered this. So who else has covered it? Any, you, you know of anybody I've, I've heard a few but the first one that comes to mind is um a friend uh who like john bryan lives in the la area named sarah watkins who has um oh, yeah, yeah sarah's awesome and i've i think that i've heard her cover this okay yeah now now i gotta go i gotta go look for that because i love sarah um, and if people aren't familiar, uh, Sarah has been doing some solo stuff. Um, but she was part of nickel Creek back in the day. I wrote down that I thought that this has the best hook on the record. 
and not only is like the melody of the hook really cool, but the sound that they play it on, it sounds like maybe it's a, a Mellotron or a Chamberlain that's like the on the flute sound, but um, I just think it's intoxicating. And it's got Jim Keltner, legendary, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I'm not going to like, if you don't know Jim Keltner, just go <laughs> look him up. But it, Jim Keltner plays drums on it so that it's like a, it's a shoe in, you know? Yeah. And, and he's got, he's got a whole litany of musical friends. Uh, one of the things that I read is he used to do um, shows at, at Largo in LA and it was pretty famous for the people who would just stop in and play with him. I think like, he still does that too. Yeah, does he still I think do he it? Still does it. Yeah, I think it's once a month. Time, time to go look at the Largo calendar for you people who are in California. So that 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 could be a really special treat. someday. Um, I'll make a pilgrimage over to that. There thing. you go. Yeah. Um, one one question that I had on this that the uh, for this song and it and it's on a lot of the other songs. Are you okay with his high parts? So he he hits he hits almost. I wouldn't say that it's a falsetto, but he does get up pretty high in the range. Um, and since he's overdubbing all of his own vocals, you you guys okay with that? Would you have rather seen maybe a female vocalist come in and do that or um, somebody else that that's more of their range? I feel cool about it. Like, actually, that's something on this record that I really liked is that... Um, you know, like for me, when I'm recording my songs, I guess to be honest, the vocal is the most intimidating part for me, or it's maybe like the instrument that I feel the least effortless about. And, okay. um, and I like that he just really, I like that he's just going for it on this record. And to me, it sounds really good. Like it's, the pitch is great, but even more importantly, the character of it is there. And um, yeah, I thought the the falsetto stuff on the chorus was really pretty. Okay. Cool, because because that's definitely going to be on the next song as well. There's there's some pretty high parts on on that song as well. All right, let's get some scores on this. So uh, Wayne, um, and I'm not happy about this because I do like this song, but the one thing that bothered me was that that uh, like hold music <laughs> or, or that almost like a '50s television will be right back music that plays. That just seemed out of place. But as far as the whole song, uh, lyrically, it's a strong song. Jim Keltner, uh, you can definitely hear that there's a different drummer. There's a whole different uh, style than than the, uh, of any of the drum uh, any of the drums on any of the other tracks. Um, I also I heard that Ben Montench played piano in it, but I can't really find a lot of piano in it. And then there's a pedal steel guitar that's not, I guess. It's cool kind of that it's played different, but it's really understated. I guess I, I expect a pedal steel, digar, pedal steel guitar to stand out and kind of become the center of something. So all of that said, I, it was my least favorite song. But I, as Shane has said, I really liked all the songs on here, but this was the least. Gotcha. And then Shane? I gave it a four just because there were so many other ones that 
completely fascinated me on like a science lab level. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And I give this a six, which moves us on to hook, line, and sinker. He descends on the He's gonna knock on her cocoon And it's gonna sound familiar And she'll go for it every time Yet again, another one of those, I don't have any confidence in myself and I'm going to probably get dumped again type of songs. Again, going back to, I think there's there's definitely that theme that uh, uh, runs through this record. Is this a, I guess maybe I should ask, is this, was this a breakup record? Did you write this after he just got dumped? <laughs> Wikipedia didn't have any. No, I didn't have anything on that. No, come on, Wikipedia. Let's <laughs> dig a little deeper, guys. Man, I, what was immediately captivating to me about this song was the the doubled um, electric guitar that was like. There's one of them that's like all the way in the right channel and all the way in the left channel, and they're really clean, like they're not you know, they're not, there's no fuzz or like distortion on them. And, um, it's just really beautiful. And it's like, there's those two stark electric guitars pushed to the sides. And then there's the vocal right down the middle singing this beautiful melody. Um, and I just thought this was like a master class, um, similar to Beatles records in like economy and, um, just like really cool choices. I'm actually, uh, trying to listen to it in my headphones here to, 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 to hear what you guys are hearing on that. Cause, uh, um, it didn't, it didn't completely resonate with me. Um, yeah, I like, like say lyrically, I liked it. I thought it was a straw. I mean, I thought it was a well-written song, but it did come off under like underwhelming. And when I was listening to it, I, I felt like I would have, I would have liked to have heard it just piano and vocals. And oh. and see and see what it sounded like from there. I think you're gonna have to go to Largo for that one. Yeah. <laughs> and and I and I it sounds like a killer show. I mean, I've I was reading some of the people that have shown up to it, and I, I but I, I believe it's hard to get into. Like it's a packed house every time he every time he plays. I believe that. Yeah. I don't have any other notes on this. Uh, I do like I do like some of the lyrics on this. You know, he says, uh, I go for it every time, just like a heavy drinker. And I go for it every time, hook, line, and sinker. I mean, I just, those, those are some. It could be a replacement songs. song. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I can totally see that. All right, let's get some scores on this one. So I give this a four. Wayne? I give it a six. All right. 
And then Shane? Eight. All right. And uh, moving on. So this is Dead to the World. It sounded a lot like some of the other tracks. It, it, I started to notice this one felt like it might have been done already. And then the weird, like the Disney ending, uh, it <laughs> seemed obscure. <laughs> Before we jump into all the scores, I'll tell you this: this is the 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 most forgettable song to me. This was my least favorite. Um, Believe it or not, I would probably even skip this song if you know I had the CD in my in my uh, stereo. It, it just didn't do a whole lot to me, and I didn't. I felt like the lyrics um, they didn't do a whole lot for me either on this. Was there any any lyrics that maybe I I I missed? I I didn't really have. Um. Yeah, like this, I didn't have the strongest feeling about the lyrics on this. Not to say I didn't like them, but just that they didn't like rock me like some of the others did. But the just like the composition itself, I thought was so cool. It's kind of the vibe reminds me of his um, score for the movie I Heart Huckabees, in that it's it's almost reminiscent of like elevator music which i've got a real love affair with that sound just the like it's like the it's like the pre-programmed drum beats and things from old um uh like hammond organs and and stuff that or like an old drum machine you know that has like a bossa nova setting um i just love that there's something kind of knowing and smirky about it. And, um, and, uh, I, I'm a real sucker for Mellotron. Anyone who's ever been around me in the studio knows that I find a way to use it on most things. (laughs) And, um, this is like a masterclass in like finding your way around the Mellotron. Um, then I really liked the, the transition from like, the kind of sample-y sounding um, verse into that into this like super clean chorus that has like Mellotron cello in the left channel, and then the outro, the Disney thing at the end, just for <laughs> for me. And also, I love about this conversation that we all have like different tastes. That's really it's like super fascinating <laughs> to me. Um, but the Disney thing blew me away, just like. It's like this string melody with these 
flourishes of clarinet and stuff and then the the bird tweets that's the kind of thing that i think if i was ever able to construct something like that on a record i'd feel like i had just won the nobel prize or something (laughs) so we're just gonna have to continue to listen to all of your songs and albums and and artists (laughs) that you produce just to see if uh, you sneak that kind of stuff in so yeah i'll try to i'll try to give you something to hate (laughs) (laughs) all right uh let's get some scores on this uh i already told you this is my uh um this was my one wayne i gave it a four and then shane i gave it a six all right and that moves us to her ghost. He speaks no evil there. He doesn't notice me at all. I find it a bit unfair. I'm bathed in shadow from that wall. I know he'll be in the air. And I apparently like this song more than you guys because my score is way higher than yours. Um, I like this. It's a uh, it's a little bit up more upbeat. I feel like there's some 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 good lines in this as well. Uh, I've no ammunition. I'm the one who's being exorcised. I like the, the though he's out of though he's out of sight. He's in her mind and in my hair. Yeah. Huh. And, and I like the fact that uh, the the other dude that he's talking about like doesn't even think enough of the narrator to know that he's the competition. Mm. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I just thought that that was cool. I, I let me ask you this on the um, on the the line where the way that he pronounces the every hour on the hour. Did anyone think that the way that he was using that was like an announcement on AM radio news, news talk, you know, where they say, you know, the weather and the headlines every hour on the hour. I felt like that was like super pronounced. Was he trying to do something like that? I, I didn't get, I didn't notice that. I did think that it was clever that, you know, her ghost, you, you would almost instinctively think that she's a ghost, but it was almost like, uh, her pet ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this is about Casper, <laughs> but it did. It had a, I got a Burt Bacharach feel, which is probably why your score is lower. I'm okay uh, with a little Burt. When he plays with Elvis, I'm all right with it, but, uh, <laughs> I liked the, this one, like, I guess you could say this about the whole record, but especially this song, um, it's really hard to write a song about, I mean, it's hard to write a, songs about love or about exes or, um, jealousy that doesn't come off as kind of, um, like trite or, 
or textbook or overdone. And I just thought this song was such a good example of his creativity and imagination and just a great narrative to like, because when I think about the song, I think about this lyrical picture that he paints of like this ghost of, um, of the ex kind of like hanging out in the hall and the power that it exudes over their relationship. Um, even though it's somebody who's gone, it like, you know, it lingers. And that's just such a cool, like tangible way to talk about jealousy as if it's like an actual apparition that you would like to banish, you know? Right. Yeah. And the, the, the line, the last lines of so long as he's the life in her, he'll be the death of me. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that stuff's that's just like, it's genius, you know? And he, he pulls it off with such graceful hand that like you hear it and you just think, Oh, that really makes sense. That's so good. But when you actually sit down and try to do that stuff, it's, it is really, it's not easy, you know? Um, and I also liked the trumpet solo, which I could be wrong. And if, if John Bryan ever listens to this, please forgive me, but it sounded to me, it reminded me of my favorite moment on the Phil Collins record, uh, both sides in which, so Phil Collins made this record mostly, at his house by himself and he played there's a couple moments where he plays like a trumpet solo with what sounds like it's like the trumpet sound on an old casio keyboard or something and this the trumpet solo on this song to me definitely sounded like it was maybe the trumpet from the mellotron or a chamberlain or something and for people who aren't familiar with what those are those are like old um tape uh, tape based keyboards where they play samples of different instruments from tapes that are inside the keyboard itself. Um, and that's like the sound of this record is those keyboards. Um, but the trumpet solo to me sounded like kind of a cheesy trumpet, you know, pre recorded trumpet, which I, I loved. That's cool. <laughs> um, all right, let's get some scores on her ghost. I give this a nine. Wayne, I gave it a three, but I, 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 I like it better than the previous song. So I, I think I may have scored it quickly, <laughs> which I didn't yeah. seem like. It. I gave it a three as well. Leads us to second to last song. This is same mistakes. throw this out this was a largely forgettable song to me however i do like the lines of the line is thin between a selfish act and things you do to keep yourself intact no truer words mm. have been spoken yes <laughs> Fair all enough. right what you guys got on uh, same mistakes 
It was the middle of the road for me. I mean, um, he kept it simple. Uh, the music box ending, I didn't, I wasn't a super fan of, but I, I did kind of like how it it connected the next song to it. Um, but I, and I think this I think this one has an accordion in it. So this guy is as I mean, multi instrumentalist is is an understatement. If he also played the accordion that we know of, if Wikipedia hasn't lied to us. Well, I just heard yeah. an accordion. I, I don't know if if it was him. I, my hat's off to him. Yeah, I think it's a pump organ, like one of those small military field pump organs that there's this company called SD that used to make them. And I've been looking for one for like decades. Actually, if anybody listening to this <laughs> has a line on an old um, military, one of those small pump organs, I will I'll gladly pay for it. But um I like that to me this one sounded the most vulnerable which made me really love it cuz it sounded um it just sounded the most stripped down and even the way that it was mixed like the guitar is pretty quiet in relationship to the vocal and the sound of the guitar is very like unadorned it's not it's a little distant and it's a little dark and it just doesn't seem like somebody obsessed over the way they recorded the guitar and um that just made me love it so much because it was like oh this is the one where i feel like in when i'm inside this song it's the one where i feel like i can get the closest to what it would actually be like to be in the room with them when he's working on this stuff okay i can see that Anything else we want to chat on uh, on same mistakes? Real good. Yeah. All right, let's get some scores in. Shane, I put it at number seven. And then Wayne, five. And I've got this as my two. And let's wrap up this record. So this is voices. tried to interweave this into our introduction but wayne missed his cue so uh <laughs> this was uh this is a cheap trick cover and um yeah it's voices uh so that's off of that's off of dream police isn't it yeah that was the second single off dream police yeah and we uh we keep meaning to do a cheap trick episode and it just hasn't happened we've talked about it for what at least six months 
Yeah, since February. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Uh, what What do you guys think about this uh, this cover? If you if you put this side by side to the cheap trick version, um, what do, What do you guys have to say about this one? I don't. I don't think that would be fair. But what I I think it it you know covers should either be you should you you should either do it true to form or put your own spin on it. And I think that cheap trick is so guitar driven that for him to take this and turn it into a piano song was in and of itself pretty cool. And like I, it took me till the chorus. I'm a huge cheap trick fan. And I heard this, the song started playing and I'm like, I know who, I know this song. I've heard this song before. And it took me till the the chorus to, to realize who it was. Um, So I I like that he was able to put a different, a completely different spin on a song that I've been listening to for most of my life. Um, But again, he, he, the tempo, got it almost started to plot at some points and then the piano gets like overly deliberate like banging on the keys in a couple of spots but other i mean and those are just minor things because like i say i thought taking a guitar driven song and completely reinventing it as a piano song uh was was not only interesting but it was a it was a great take yeah, my my notes here are: you took a cheap trick song and turned it into a Todd Rundgren song. <laughs> so, maybe, maybe I don't have quite quite as high opinion of this this particular song that you guys do, but um, I liked it the first couple times I listened to it, and then um, after listening to the, the 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 record in whole multiple times. Um, it kind of lost a little bit for me, but um, Shane, Shane, what you got on voices? Well, I, even though I'm kind of familiar with cheap trick in that, uh, you know, I know they're a band, but I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't had my time with them yet. Like I haven't listened to them very much. Um, And so I'm not super familiar with all of their, stuff and when i listened like for a long for the longest time when i had heard this record i didn't know that 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 this was a cheap trick song until just recently so i haven't heard the original version but i mean i this one i was pretty blown away with how it's kind of just a masterclass in harmony writing and i feel like at different moments you can hear the Beatles influence coming through and other moments are almost like an homage to queen. Um, you know, in the way that like the harmonies are arranged, which is pretty badass because I mean, I don't know how many songwriters working today do you hear and you say like, Oh, they sound like they're influenced by queen, (laughs) you know, like you kind of have to be pretty bold. Um, so the harmonies, I mean, just throughout, it was to me, it was almost more like a classical, like an orchestral composition in the in the vocal work. And as a producer, I was just so enthralled by the use of um, the music box, and I think that it's an Edison cylinder, at least from what I read in this little write up that was on CD Baby, but. Um, just this, yeah, the samples of like other, um, you know, the music box and this old recording were just so haunting. And I thought it was so cool how he 
overlaid them over the key of the song and therefore they were given a sort of a darker sound. Um, if anyone listening has never heard of an Edison cylinder, which wouldn't be surprising, this is like basically the earliest form of mm -hmm. reproduction of audio. Like um, you've got a literal cylinder of wax that has the, you know, the, the vibrations are etched into it of the sound wave. And then you put that on a machine and it rotates and plays back the sound. And, you know, it's pretty cool because it kind of mutates the sound quite a bit because it's, it's such low fidelity, but that's like the earliest form of, um, you know, compact discs. <laughs> um, and from the write-up that I read on CD Baby, it said that he'd been doing it at Largo with music boxes randomly playing and an Edison cylinder machine um, just running. And he said there's less of it on the record than there normally is in the live show because on the night of recording, the machine, its mainspring exploded. So I don't know like what the mainspring is or anything <laughs> like that, but I just... I love stories like that. Um, so this one I I really loved, and I thought it was a cool ending to the record because it's not the one that you're gonna like, you know, put in people's lap to start the record. But it is kind of a reward if you make yeah. it all the way to the end. All right, let's get some scores then, Shane. I put this at ten. Okay, and then Wayne. Uh, seven. And now I feel super bad because I gave this a three. <laughs> so um, my apologies. All right. <laughs> well, did we did we cover everything on Meaningless? Oh yeah. Did we miss anything? Knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I don't I don't think we missed anything. All right, let's uh, let's take a look at our top five based off of our cumulative scores. Any guesses on what? Uh, what our number one was? Um, no. Ruin my day? Uh, oh, I believe she's lying. I'm sorry. Second. I, I believe she's lying. That was our top score. And that was because uh, uh, Shane and I both had that as our top song. So that was a 10.33 average score. Ruin my day. That was number two. Average score of nine. We had uh, walking through walls, mostly on the uh, the strength of Wayne's top score. That was that was our third favorite, and then uh, we've got uh, voices was our fourth, and we have a tie for fifth for hook line and sinker, and then meaningless. So. Our top six essentially is what that comes out to. Yeah, so that's that's pretty solid. Top top five, top six, whatever you want to call it. Right? Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. It was fun to dive into this record. Thanks for the uh, for the impetus to do that. I think the reason that I'm so fascinated with this thing is that it's kind of like it's like getting to read the journal of like a mad scientist genius, you know, and <laughs> And I, I also, I think that if you look at the whole thing, like top to bottom, it's a stunning array of sounds and moods and like 
production techniques. And it's, you know, there's no question why he's like, you know, just one of the best out there and why he has such a prolific and expansive career because he's kind of just like capable of anything, um, which to me in my line of work is just super inspiring. Yeah, I just, cool. I had never heard his name. Um, so it was interesting to see. I mean, this, I'm, I can't believe I hadn't heard his name is to see all the people he's worked with. I mean, not only Kanye West and Amy Mann, but Jerry Lee Lewis, um, uh, he's worked with Dave Navarro. He was on, he did some, some stuff with Peter Gabriel. I mean, whether it's playing instruments or producing or co-writing, he's yeah, he's busy. There's that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Shane, it's been a pleasure revisiting with you. Um, so remind our, our listeners where they can find all the happenings of you. Any, any other uh, records that you've produced recently that you want to, want to uh shout out as well yeah sure um well that yeah that uh that anna record for your listeners the one the question um i'm just still really proud of that and really proud of anna as a writer um and that's worth checking out for anyone who hasn't listened to it anna tibble um there's a band great band called humbird from minneapolis um, whose record I just, uh, I produced recently who's, uh, and that's just out, that's called Pharmacon. And that one, I, I think is a really, truly special record. Um, and, uh, there's a couple coming out soon, one by a guy named John Harden and another by a fellow named John Davey and another, by another John named John Sunday, who has a band called J.E. Sunday. Yeah, so just be on the lookout for records from those folks. But And I'm working on another record myself right now that I hope will be out in the next year sometime. Very cool. You are definitely keeping cool. busy then. Yeah. Try, I'm uh, up to my eyeballs, thankfully. There you go. Um, so because we uh, we got the referral from, from Anna to have you on, so... I always ask all of our guests as well. So who do you know that I don't know who'd want to join us on the podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? Oh man, that's another tough question. I know <laughs> it's like, it's like the two hardest questions. What's your, what, what's your favorite record? What's your favorite artist or something? Um, Which is why we throw out the easy questions like uh, what's your opinion of Toto's Africa? Yeah. Right, yeah, or like, what shirt are you yeah, wearing? Exactly. Those are the three <laughs> we lob you up like, some softballs in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, I would say um, the gal um, whose band is Humbird, that Humbird band I just okay. mentioned, Siri Undlin is her name. Um, I would check out her record and talk to her. She's she's a smart one, and she's a great writer. Um so I would send you her way. Go check it out. That sounds great. Cool. Yeah. So as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited podcast. We're on Instagram using the uh, Records Revisited podcast hashtag because um, Wayne's got to do a little fixing of the, uh, the actual <laughs> account name. Um, uh, we, we won't talk about that. Uh, so we're now on Twitter <laughs> at Podcast Records. You can find us 
on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Spotify, and you can find all of our old episodes at recordsrevisitpodcast.com. Please go subscribe, rate or review us, and thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, visit a record store, and not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited, and we are out. out. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>